Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, our weekly get-together to kick back and talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. Glad to have you along this evening on UltimateSportsTalk.com. I am Dave Mitchell, and it's been a good week for the Indians as they have bounced back. The Reds had a lackluster week, but as we bring in our resident Reds expert from down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, I think you would probably agree with me that for both clubs this week, the word closer rang true. It, it sure did, and uh, throw the word close in there as well, for, at least for the Reds. Uh, you are correct uh, in saying the Reds had a lackluster week. They finished 2-3. and three. However, that could have easily been 4-1 uh, and one. Uh, with two ground balls up in Boston. The Reds lost twice up there after having leads, uh, two-run leads in both games, and the, the bullpen came in and threw gasoline on the fire. But you're right, the bullpen uh, imploded up in Boston, but uh, the Reds are hanging around, and, um, and the Indians uh, seem to be on a nice little run. Indians are on a nice run, as you said, Mark. They've won five of their last six. They are now five and a half games behind Detroit. They've won seven of their last ten. But we'll get to the closer roles here in just a few minutes. want to let you know that you can email us here tonight at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can send us a tweet to at ohbbcohost or at alt, U-L-T, sports talk. You can also send us an email to the ultimatesportstalk.com email address, which is ask us at Ultimate Sports Talk, and we'll have a couple of questions coming up from our fans at the bottom of the hour for tonight's show, as we do every week. Mark, the reason I mentioned Closer is because it was the triumphant return of Araldus Chapman. I know one thing that we were all concerned about was how he would react on the mound, and I think he did pretty well yesterday. Yeah, he did more than well, and I, frankly, I, I thought the adrenaline would get him over any hump he might face, and it was good to bring him in with a three-run lead in case he ran into control problems, and he did walk the first guy he faced. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, he was throwing, they said every fastball he threw was over 100 miles an hour. Uh, two pitches were at 102. So he certainly, uh, he has no arm issues, and they said during the, the time he was down, he kept his legs, he, he was very active, he lifted weights, he, he did a lot of stretching and running. So the guy's in magnificent shape, and it's just a matter of him uh, settling down and, and finding the strike zone again. But, you know, he's matured, Dave. You can see when he comes in now, it's a different kind of Chapman than it was two or three years ago. He's, he's sure of himself. He knows his, his stuff. Uh, he's developed a ter terrific slider. And I still think that uh, I, I think the closer role is so overrated in baseball. I would love to see Chapman be in the starting rotation, and I, I just I can't imagine they would not let his stuff uh, be more on on notice uh, on the mound than it is when you pitch what 60 innings of relief for the entire year or less. 
So time will tell, but um, he, he certainly came back strong yesterday. Well, I was traveling yesterday for Mother's Day, so I was on the road for about three hours, and I got a chance not only to listen to the Indians game, but also flip back and forth between that one and the Reds game. And I know Marty Brenneman said in that last inning, 15 of the 21 pitches that Chapman threw were over 100 miles per hour. Yeah, and he was, uh, he didn't even, I was watching it on TV, and the scary thing is, he doesn't look like he's straining. He's throwing hard. You, you can tell he's throwing hard, but, but you know how some guys just throw everything they have into the pitch, and he doesn't do that. And the other thing that's scary, uh, he's six foot, almost six foot five, and he's got a very, very long arm. And when he lets go of that pitch, he's probably like 52 feet from home plate. And it's, I mean, some of the hitters, and, and, and the Rockies have some great hitters on that team, they were completely overmatched. They, they had no chance. And it's, it's frightening to see what he can do when he is on. And what may be hurting him is his control is getting better. So guys have a tendency not to bail out like they used to. But uh, when he first came in, he was throwing 102, 103 miles an hour, and nobody had a clue where it was going. So there was something of a fear factor there that's going away a little bit because his control has improved so much. Well, what was interesting, Mark, was during the past month, you and I have discussed the fact of how is he going to react getting back on the mound and having a ball hit right back at him. Hey, I think he's figured out the equation. Just don't let anybody hit it. Well, that, that very thing happened down in Louisville. Uh, and I think it was his second appearance down there. Uh, two line drives came right back through the middle, and he didn't he didn't flinch. He just you know like no big deal. And he said something kind of interesting. I thought after after that game he was interviewed, he said, "Look, I boxed for six years. I ain't afraid of no baseball." That's how he put it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a tough dude. I mean, I've heard people talk about him down there. Nobody wants to fool with Chapman. I mean, he's he's six foot five, six foot four, six foot five. He's way over two hundred pounds, and he's a big dude. He's not just a skinny guy throwing hard. I mean, he's got he's got some muscle on him, and nobody wants to fool him. He's he's a pretty uh, pretty ornery guy when he wants to be. So, uh, like he said, I ain't afraid of no baseball. Like I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Well. I also heard Marty Brenneman say something interesting yesterday was that the Reds' bullpen was at the bottom of the National League in runs scored against them. This this return of Araldis Chapman has got to set up the bullpen better for the Reds, I would think, in the, the upcoming months. Yeah, it, it really balances it out because you now have, you can have Broxton or Sean Marshall in the eighth, depending on, on what the matchups are. And you just back it down. So if you use Marshall in the seventh, you use Broxton in the eighth, Chapman in the ninth, or reverse those two setup guys. And then you have Andrusik and Para and uh, others coming in, in 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 the fifth, sixth inning to get an out or two. You don't have to rely on them to get big outs in, in the late innings. I mean, Sam McCure is an example. He's He's been great for the Reds this year, but he shouldn't be pitching in the eighth inning. He should be pitching in the fifth, sixth, or seventh inning, assuming you're having problems with your starting pitching, which leads to the other issue. The Reds' starting pitching, uh, even though their bullpen has been 
terrible so far this year, it remains outstanding. And right now, Johnny Cueto is an odds-on favorite for the Cy Young. He, Dave, he, he is pitching just lights out. I saw him pitch Friday night against the Rockies, and he toyed with them. He, you know, he, he just is so much better than they are right now. And as he, if he stays healthy and the Reds get Latos back, uh, you know, they can, they can be trouble if they go out and get another hitter. Okay, we'll get back into the Reds here in just a couple of minutes, Mark. But the other reason we wanted to mention that closer was the word for tonight is the fact that John Exford, the Indians' closer, lost his job over the weekend. After a rough outing on Saturday, Terry Francona came out on Sunday and said that John Exford was going to lose his role for the time being as the Indians' closer. And if you look at the last seven games, you can understand why. In the last seven games for John Axford, Mark, he's got a one-and-one record, which records for relievers really don't mean that much. But his ERA, 7.71. He's been in three games. He's pitched two and a third innings, giving up five hits, two runs, two earned runs, one home run. He's walked four, struck out three. But the big thing is opponents are batting over 400 against him in the last seven games. Somehow he has just seemed to lose it, and I know you've discussed that in the past, that suddenly it just seems to come and go with him. Yeah, he, he's really a, a curious dude, and in, in, in the fact he can be so dominant at some points during the season and other points, uh, I, I don't know if his, his fastball straightens out, which is the, the lament of many a guy who throws hard, they throw hard, but if you throw it straight, guys are going to hit it. Uh, yesterday, Chapman's fastball, as an example, was moving a foot. It's almost unhittable when it moves that way. And still, the best pitch for a pitcher in baseball is, is a good, fa- a well-located fastball. If it's not well-located, and I think it's Asford's fault, his problem, is that he's going to get lit up. And that's what has happened with him, is that he is not placing his fastball very well. But what surprised me, Mark, and I don't want to get into a real debate about Terry Francona this year versus Terry Francona last year. The only thing I can say is he seems to pick and choose whom he is going to be patient with. For example, last year he spent the entire year being patient with just about everybody. This year... He has spent the entire first month and a half of the season being patient with Carlos Santana. It seems like it's starting to pan out for him as Santana is starting to hit the baseball. But, Mark, he pulled the plug on Axford rather quick, just after three outings, three bad outings after seven good ones with the Indians. He pulled the plug right away and started going with somebody else. I was rather surprised that he did that. Well, don't forget, though, there's a big difference between Axford and his contribution to the Cleveland Indians as a whole compared to Santana, you've got to go with Santana. I mean, he's your guy. Uh, you're not going to set him down, and you've got to work through his issues and get him back hitting again. So you, you really have little choice. You might give him a day or two off just to, you know, to catch his breath. But with Axford, uh, he, he's not in that role of, uh, of you know, a premier reliever. He never has been. So I agree with Francona, you, you, and I admire him for making a move. And I, I admire what Brian Price did, you know, moving Joey Votto around the lineup. 
So I, I like these at, these managers who are proactive when they see something that's not working. What are you going to do? Send them out there? Uh, who was your reliever last year? The guy that I said was uh, Chris right? Perez. Chris Perez. I mean, they kept <laughs> kept sending this guy out, and even if he would get the save. Like he would walk two guys, and there'd be three line drives. And yeah, I got the save. Well, why would you send him back out there time and time and time again when he's getting lit up, even if they don't score sometimes off him? So I think Francona is doing the right thing, and maybe this will get Axford's attention, or maybe he's best suited for a seventh or eighth inning setup guy. Yeah, you know, I, I remember Earl Weaver used to call Don Stanhouse full pack. Because it used to cause him to smoke a full pack of cigarettes just watching him close out the ball game. <laughs> but, and that's what Chris Perez did last year. You could call him six pack, not because of the abs that he had, but because he would drive you to drink. Anyway, uh, another thing about the Indians, Mark, is the fact that they're finally starting to hit the ball. As Drupal Cabrera is starting to to hit the ball the way that we know he can, Lonnie Chisenhall is continuing to hit the baseball mark. He's hitting over 300. He's got eight doubles on the year. He's starting to drive home runs. As I said, Santana. Swisher is starting to hit the ball in the last 15 ball games. Mike Avillis has just been outstanding, replacing Jason Kipnis at second base. Uh, you've almost not even noticed that Kipnis was gone, and the Indians, as a, as a whole now, are starting to starting to win some ball games, finishing seven and three in their last ten. They're only five and a half games behind Detroit. They've got Detroit coming to town next week. Mark, I think things are starting to turn around for the Tribe. Yeah, the only thing that I worry about the Tribe is that they've got in that division, they've got Detroit. <laughs> and uh, I don't know that they're going to qualify a wild card team out of the Central this year. I think there's too much... Uh, parity in that division that they're probably going to beat each other up and, and not have the kind of record that would qualify for the playoffs. So I think that the Indians, if they're going to get in the playoffs, they're going to have to beat out Detroit, which is a big order. And I, frankly, Dave, I, I think they're, as we've talked in the past, and you've, you've said this more than once, I still think they're a bat, a bat away from, from having the kind of team that puts the fear of God into somebody and can compete with Detroit. And I, I still think you need another starting pitcher. At least a guy, somebody else in the bullpen. So I, well, I, I would agree the bullpen. The starting pitching mark has been outstanding over the last three weeks, and especially now they brought up Josh Tomlin, who who is two and zero this week. Mark with a two point two ERA. He's come up. He's he's saddled down that that rotation. Corey Kluber has pitched some outstanding balls. Zach McAllister has done the same thing. I don't think it's very long to where you're going to see Trevor Bauer up on this team again. I think the starting pitching has started to round itself into shape. The, the warmer the weather that has gotten, Mark, I think the pitching and the hitting on the Indians has gotten better. The only thing I'm worried about right now is the defense. They're still mired deep in the cellar in the American League in defense. They just don't seem to have the same concentration fielding the ball this year that they did last year. I, I thought I saw, I, I, I looked at the Reds. I think the Reds have made 13 errors this year. Did I see correctly that Cleveland has made 33 errors? Correct. Holy cow. Yep. And, and yesterday against uh, Tampa Bay, they had a 6-2 to lead, Mark, with runners at first. Tampa Bay had runners at first and second with one out, 
And it was an easy ground ball back to the pitcher to Zepchinski. And Zepchinski threw the ball wide of second base. They blew an easy double play. And Tampa Bay ended up scoring three runs to make it a 6-5 to five ball game. And that's how it ended. One play could have got them out of that inning and made it an easy ball game. And that one play got Tampa Bay right back in it. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that they're as close as they are with that many errors. It, that's really amazing. They have 20 more errors in the Reds in only, what, 30-some games? I and mean, that, that's, that's hard to believe. And, yeah, and, it, it really is. And when you look at the records, they're comparable. The Indians 18-20, and 20, the Reds 17-19. and 19. Mark, I heard Marty Brenneman say yesterday that Homer Bailey's start yesterday was by far the best of the season. Well, he looked uh, he looked unhittable at times yesterday against that team. I mean, he he was throwing the ball hard. He was throwing it on the black. His slider was was even to Lewitsky, You know, he he reacted very strangely to his slider. It's it's uh, when he's on, uh, he has got uh, as good a stuff as anybody in baseball. And as I was watching him pitch, I, I was wondering. He's I think three and one his last four starts, uh, an ERA under under three. And he's, you know, he's the kind of pitcher that you pay $100 million for. Uh, but what are the Reds going to do next year when Matt Latos is up for the same kind of contract? I don't know how they're going to pull that off. And Cueto, Cueto's pitching better than all of them. How do you afford those guys? And then in two years, you've got Chapman coming in to arbitration. Or in fact, it could be next year for arbitration for Chapman. So the Reds have some big decisions to make on the pitching side, and uh, you cannot afford that rotation. You cannot and here's, afford. here's the other problem with that, too, Mark, is that they have set the scale now for starting pitchers on that team. For, forget about the other pitchers in, in baseball. They've set the scale for Reds pitchers. Homer Bailey doesn't have anywhere near the career record that Matt Latos or Johnny Cueto has doesn't have anywhere near the upside that those two guys have, yet he's making, what, about double what they make now, maybe triple what Latos is making. So when they come to the bargaining table and want money, they're going to set themselves up against Homer Bailey. That's right. And you look at him, a career against Latos is not even close. I mean, Latos has a, a great winning percentage. He's got great stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm not sure his stuff is any better than Bailey, but his results have been better than Bailey, and a lot of that, you know, was playing at Petco. But uh, at, at any rate, you, you're right. I, I don't know how they make that math work. You could have a rotation of Cueto, Latos, Bailey, and don't forget Mike Leake. He's the winningest pitcher on the team in the last two or three years, you know, collectively, and. <laughs> not including Chapman, and then Singrani is the guy who's young. You don't have to pay a lot to. But that, that pitching staff could be worth $20 million a year apiece per starter, starting pitching, and that's not, that's not a stretch. No, not at all. I mean, and, but that, that starting pitching, I actually think the Reds and the Indians, don't get me wrong, I think the Reds have the better starting staff. But I don't think the Indians are that far away from the Reds as far as the starting pitching is concerned. I think they've got five or six solid guys that they could go to. I absolutely think that the Reds have better starting pitching in the minor leagues. But when you've got Tomlin and Bauer and Salazar that you have to choose from for your four, fourth and fifth starters, Mark, uh, 
especially from where the Indians are concerned, I think they're sitting pretty for the next few years. I do, too. And I saw Kluber pitch the other day. I, I mean, maybe he was having an unusually good day, but, boy, he looked strong. He looked really strong. And uh, I saw um, oh, your other right-hand starter. Um, McAllister or Masterson? Masterson. Uh, he's a big dude. I mean, I saw him pitch the other day. He's a lot bigger than I remember him being. I mean, he looks like a, uh, uh, you know, like almost a linebacker out there pitching. Wide shoulders and big legs and, and very powerful guy. So these guys are the kind that don't get hurt a lot. And uh, that, that bodes well for the Indians. And, uh, you know, when I was looking at the Indians play the other day on TV, and the Reds that night, uh, these are teams that could be around a while because of their pitching. They may not win it every year because they have not shored up their offensive woes yet. But these are the kinds of teams that hang around all year and they get into the playoffs more times than not, and they do it over a decade. And, you know, that's the good thing about having pitching is you always are in a game. The Reds have played, I think, 10 one-run games now so far this year. They've lost, I think, seven of them. But it, they're, they're always in the game. The only exception was that Saturday night game against um, Colorado. But by and large, they're in it every night. They absolutely are. Mark, the Reds made a change in the lineup. They moved Johnny uh, Joey Votto to clean up. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about with Brian Price. I really like the fact that he's, he's moved Votto around to try and get the best result. And he's not, he moved him to second, and that paid off for a while. But then the rest of the guys weren't hitting, and we weren't getting any RBIs, so we moved him down to fourth, put Phillips at, at third. And when they have Billy Hamilton and Skip Schumacher in that one-two spot, that's, that's a very compelling one-through-four rotation. And the guy who's coming alive, and, and I think he's now in a 12-game hitting streak, uh, is third baseman Todd Frazier. And, you know, he has the most unorthodox swing I've ever seen on a major league player. This guy can look. I don't know why people throw him a strike. Honest to God. I mean, he, he'll, throw, he'll chase a slider a foot outside if you give him just half a chance. And these people, the Rockies are throwing the fastball down the middle. And did you see the home run he hit Friday night? No. 489 feet to center field. Wow. It looked like a howitzer. This thing... Landed on top. You've been to uh, Great American Ballpark, I think. He landed on top of the boat. I've never. <laughs> I, we went out there one time and had a party. It looks like it's in another city. This is so far away, and he crushed this ball, and it hit on a line—not a line, but it was still rising when it hit the back wall. I don't know how far it would have gone, but it, just an incredible shot. And this guy has has power that is. Astonishing for his. He doesn't look like he's that big, but he's a rangy kid. He's like 6'3, 225, 230, long arms, long legs, and he generates a tremendous amount of power. And I, I just hope the Reds can go out there and get somebody else that can help support Joey Votto. And, and, and I'm afraid, Dave, that I've been such a fan of Jay Bruce, but I went back and looked at the numbers that, that Jay Bruce has put up over the last several years. He strikes out almost a third of the time. That's that's 200 strikeouts he's on a pace for this year. And he'll hit home runs, but his lifetime batting average is in the 250s. 
And am I being too critical? Or is this guy overrated? Or what? why can't this guy put the bat on the ball? Well, a lot of people thought the same thing about Dave Kingman, too. And they were right. And he, you know, he he went weeks on end without hitting home runs and was constantly striking out. Look at look at the records that he set when he was with the Giants and the Cubs. Yeah, the same with Adam Dunn. I mean, you cannot afford to have this kind of bat in your lineup. And it's strange that over the last week, since Jay Bruce has been down, Skip Schumacher has basically replaced him in, in the batting order, and he just doesn't strike out. You know, like yesterday, he hit a ground ball that brought in a run. It, it, it seemingly, an innocent ground ball brought in a run, but that's important. There was a runner at third, nobody out. If Jay Bruce would have been up, it's likely, not likely, but there, there's a 33% chance he's going to strike out, not even hit the ball. And imagine a lineup with, you know, six or seven Skip Schumachers in there that are always making contact. And the other guy that has been surprising to me, I don't know if you've seen him play recently, is Billy Hamilton. He's getting on base. He's stealing bases. He's hitting 260. He's playing flawless center field. And, you know, he, he's, he's really done a good job. He's got uh, 26 hits in uh, 100 at-bats. He's hit a home run. He's hit two triples. He's even driven in six runs. So that's been a surprise. The Reds are a bat away, and I don't know where to put that bat, but it probably is shortstop. Well, you know, when you look at these teams, Mark, a lot of what happens is that speed is a major increment of their lineup, both the Reds and the Indians, and I think speed is a lost art at the major league level. You look at Niger Morgan, what he did yesterday for the Indians. He showed speed and power. I love this guy. He's gotten his attitude straightened out from the days that he was in Milwaukee. I think the year in Japan really helped him out tremendously because he's come back to Cleveland, thankful to be back in the major leagues. He walked yesterday, stole second, went to third on a bulk, and came home on a grounder to second. All in four pitches. The Indians got a cheap run, and then later on in the ballgame, he clubbed a, a home run to right field. Niger Morgan was one of the reasons the Reds won or the Indians won yesterday and it was all because of his speed and you could say the same thing about the Reds and Billy Hamilton. Yeah, Billy Hamilton, uh, he's going to get so much better. Uh, he, he's still learning how to steal. He's doing it now in sheer speed. He just outruns everybody, you know, outruns the ball, but he, he doesn't get, get good jumps sometimes. He doesn't know the pitchers yet and he I see him many times making a, a move back to first base uh, on the delivery to the plate. And that's not what you want. You want the guy knowing the pitchers well enough to know when they're going, to, to study the, the, the time to home plate from the pitcher. And he's going to get so much better in, in the years to come. But he brings, just like uh, uh, Nigel Morgan to the Indians, he brings such a, a component to the Reds that uh, it, it's really exciting to see. And the Reds with, with Chapman back now, and the, the buzz in the stadium yesterday, you could see Chapman warming up, and you and you heard this this hum in, in the stands. And when he came onto the, the field running in from the dugout, it was really, really exciting. And I'm sure you're talking about the same thing with the Nigel Morgan. 
a young guy like that, or not a no young guy, but a, a fast guy like like that brings a component of excitement to the to the team that that other players don't bring. And he actually made Michael Bourne play better. Yesterday they had Bourne at the leadoff spot, Morgan at number two, and then Brantley number three. Yeah, all three left-handed hitters. Terry Francona threw that whole thing out the window yesterday, and the Indians ended up scoring six runs. But the thing that I thought was interesting, Mark, about the Reds lineup when I saw it on Saturday, even though they got beat, was they had Pena batting second. I like that, by the way. I, I think that was a good move. And talking about the Reds for a second, in, in terms of, I guess, things that bother me in the night, um, you got Joey Votto hitting two fifty eight. Dave, if, if Joey Votto were to hit two fifty eight to two seventy five for the rest of his career, uh, the Reds have made a colossal mistake, one that's going to impact them for a decade with that contract. Now, I'm not saying he will, but he only has six home runs. He's only driven in 12 runs. And he, he, to, to me, he does not look like, like the same hitter he did two years ago. And you've seen a lot of guys. Uh, he still occasionally will hit for power, but what's amazing is he's got six home runs, five of them against left-handers. He's not hitting right-handers, and that's frightening. And with a two fifty eight batting average uh, and nobody hitting behind him that's going to scare anybody, uh, I'm really concerned about Vado. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I, I don't know what the answer is, but you're, you're averaging paying this guy $25 million a year, and he better not hit two fifty eight. Mark, he's leading the team in walks with 29. He struck out 28 times. I mean, when you look at those totals together, it is kind of confusing because if you look at him separately, if you see how many walks he's gotten, you'd say he's been using a pretty good eye at the plate, but then you see the 28 strikeouts and you think he's not picking up the ball well. Well, it's he also, like Jay Bruce, they, they take a lot of third strikes. And it all goes back to that complaint. And, and, and here's the, the conundrum. The argument could be he's not being aggressive enough. In other words, he'll, he, he took a, a strike three on the outside corner the other night, a very hittable pitch, especially for a guy who can go to left field like he can. Why in the world would you take that pitch? Yeah, you might get a walk, but so what? Foul it off, stay in the count, and get a better pitch to hit. But you look at these 28 strikeouts and 29 base on balls, that's taking a ton of pitches, a ton and with a guy like that, I, I don't understand why he sh should be taking that many pitches, be they strikes or, or, or balls just barely off the plate. And the right-handers continually work him on the outside corner. That's why he doesn't have any home runs against the right-hander. He's got one because they won't, they won't challenge him inside. So he's got to go to left field. But he, he, Dave, he, it would be maddening, I think, for you to see how many pitches this guy takes over the course of, of a month and a season. It, it really is amazing. Well, it's time for our Ask Us segment on tonight's show. Of course, you can join us with your questions to Mark and I about the Reds and the Indians just simply by sending us an email to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can tweet us your questions to at OHBB co-host or at Alt Sports Talk. Mark, we've got a couple of questions here this week on our Ask Us segment. Both of them are about 
the Cincinnati Reds, and then I want to go on a little soapbox here tonight, which we'll do in just a second. But evidently, okay, Tina2319 writes into us today and says, Marty Brenneman got in trouble earlier this week with some sort of a salute. What's the story on that? I heard a little bit about that too, Mark. Do you know anything about what they're talking about? I, I heard it, but I didn't know the details of it, so I'm anxious to hear from you. I don't know. That's why I was oh. <laughs> asking you. No, I, I all I heard was that he got in some hot water, nothing nothing major, but uh, he made some off-the-cuff comment that somebody didn't like. Uh, we'll track it down, though, because I, I don't know what it is he said, and I wanted to find out what he said. I can't imagine it would be that much of a big deal, but because uh, I would have seen it in the paper or seen it on the internet, and I've not seen it either place. Well, that that's what I was thinking. I I just could okay. I'm bringing it up on the internet right now, and let's take a look at what it says. Evidently, oh, they've got a picture of him here. Uh, flipping the bird to the Colorado Rockies announcing crew. Uh, I'm not quite sure. He, he brought, according to, this was on Saturday night, and the story by Mark Townsend of USA Sports, or, or I'm sorry, Yahoo Sports, want to give it the correct promotion here. Marty Brenneman managed to provide a late-inning highlight in a pretty dull affair. In the sixth inning, a foul ball came straight back towards the Reds' radio booth, and Brenneman basically ignored it. He didn't flinch or make an effort, which led to some playful ribbing from the Rockies' television crew of Drew Goodman and George Frazier. In response, Brenneman gave them the one-finger salute, which came just as the camera was panned to him. <laughs> Oops. Oops, yeah. As if no one's ever seen that or done that before. Right. But they do. They have a great picture. If you want to look it up, it's on Yahoo Sports. they got a great picture of Marty looking at the Rockies' crew. So that that's the story, Tina, of what happened there. We've also got GF15 asking us, Mark, what is the extent of the Tony Singrani injury, and when is he expected back? It wasn't even an injury from what I understand, and, and I did look into that pretty carefully. Uh, went to four or five sources on that because I was worried about it. And they basically said sore, uh, sore shoulder. And what's happened with Singrani is he, uh, up until this year, he threw his fastball about 82% of the time. And what that basically means is that it's unlikely you're going to get a sore shoulder or a sore arm when all you throw is fastballs. You, you would think the opposite, that you put a lot of strain on your arm on a fastball, but you don't. A fastball is more natural. You, you don't snap your wrist. You don't snap your elbow. And where you get into trouble are guys throwing sliders, split fingers, even change-ups. Because change-ups put a lot of strain on your arm, and you're throwing your arm as hard, but you're, not, you're, you're letting go of it with two fingers. And it puts more strain on your arm than you think. So the the answer to the question is he's not hurt. He simply was wearing down a bit after spring training uh, of throwing a lot of breaking balls to try and develop a secondary and third pitch. And as a result, his, his shoulder got a little achy, and they decided to uh, put him on the shelf because they had three off days in 11 days. They really didn't need him as a starter. And he'll be back. I think he's starting this weekend on Saturday against the Phillies with that left-handed lineup. 
Okay. Mark, here's another question that comes from DM at OHBB co-host, which is me. What's, what is your opinion of the difference between Cleveland fans and Cincinnati fans? I think Cincinnati fans are the most docile, understanding, least demanding fans that I've ever witnessed in baseball. And I've been, I've been to every stadium. And, you know, some of the fans, wherever you go, and, and I qualify that by saying there's, there's one exception, uh, and it could be Los Angeles. But there it's more lack of interest. In the seventh inning, everybody leaves the stadium, no matter what the score is. It's amazing. The Reds fans are very interested. But it's, it's astonishing to me, when you have a Jay Bruce or an Adam Dunn, and they strike out as often as they do, and the team plays poorly sometimes, you'll hear a couple boos, but nothing, nothing like you would hear in New York or Boston or Chicago uh, even Washington, D.C., Miami, I was down there. I couldn't believe how much they were booing down there. I mean, some of these fans are really rabid and very loud, but the Cincinnati fans aren't. Now, I haven't been to Cleveland more than twice. I think it was twice I was up there. And I see in Cleveland, and maybe you'll confirm this, a little more East Coast than Cincinnati is Midwest. And they were louder to me more vociferous, and they really got on guys when they screwed up. But that I was only up there twice, so I, I don't have a trend up there. How do you see it? Well, I, I think you're right. I think um, I have actually called the media and the fans of Cleveland many New York um, because they aspire to be just like the media and the Yankees of New York. And it seems like, Mark, every year – about this time, I get fed up with this stuff. And you and I partially discussed this before we went on the air tonight, that the Indians have won five of six. They're playing good baseball, seven of their last ten. Their starting pitching is doing outstanding. They're starting to hit the ball. They're starting to win some baseball games. The Cavaliers this afternoon fired their head coach, Mike Brown. And the only thing we're hearing on the radio around here is how terrible the Browns were for not taking a wide receiver. But boy, is it great that Johnny Manziel is in town. Quite frankly, I could care less about Johnny Manziel. And all you ever hear about from these radio guys, Mark, when somebody calls into their station, and I'm calling out the ESPN station and the CBS station, just, just to be honest here and up front. When somebody calls in and asks them, why aren't we talking about the Indians? They say, nobody wants to talk about the Indians. Yet, both stations have a radio show after every Indians game, and they have no lack of phone calls about the Indians only during those shows. Bruce Drennan runs a show on TV from 3.30 to 6.30 every day. All bets are off. He has no shortage of Indians callers. The two radio stations here in Cleveland, Mark, could care less about the Indians. They don't get any money out of them. They're all Browns 24-7, 365 days a year. And it's getting sickening. Mark, pardon my, my English, my, my poor grammar, but it is. It's getting 
sickening around here that the Indians absolutely get no publicity out of the media, and what publicity they do get is poor publicity, yet the Browns can do whatever they want, and they get all sorts of publicity, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, but they all kiss up to the Browns, and they look down at the Indians. And this just, I think, you know, Greg asked me one time to tune into Zach McAllister and Mo Eggers' show. So I did. I pulled it up on the Internet. Mark, it was refreshing. I had no idea what this game of baseball could be talked about in so many different glowing manners by listening to these two guys. They've been on our show. They have absolutely no problems coming onto our show whenever we request it. Their producer, Lindsay, no problems. You know, Mark, you and I have discussed this. We have tried time after time after time to get Indian personalities, media personalities, from the Cleveland area, the only people we can get is Tony Lastoria. We can't get anybody from the Cleveland media because they think they're mini New York. They think they're John Sterling. They they think they're guys that that can't do anything wrong and that their their opinion is the only one that matters. And Mark, I do this every year. I go off the deep end about the Cleveland media and I do it with people that I talk to, they all agree with me. I think the Cincinnati media and the Cincinnati fans have got it right on. And the Cleveland media just don't, they just have absolutely no idea what's going on in the Cleveland market. They don't read it. It's funny. Uh, I played ball with Jose Cardinal, uh, the former, former Yankee, and he won a World Series with, with, uh, I guess with uh, Kansas, uh, Philadelphia, I guess it was. And anyway, uh, he was talking about playing in, in different locations, and uh, he was talking about how kind the Cincinnati fans were. I mean, you have to be so bad to be booed in Cincinnati that you have to you have to do things so so bad on and off the field that they forgive everybody, and they they simply love the Reds come high, hell or high water, and they support them. Uh, and they don't draw as much as the Indians have drawn in the past, but there's a consistent fan base, and they have a huge, huge listening market. And uh, someone told me that the Reds, I forget the numbers now, but their TV network, uh, I think, is the fourth or fifth largest in Major League Baseball in terms of its value because they, they are all over Indiana, Kentucky, uh, even Pennsylvania, West Virginia, uh, they televise the games down in Tennessee, so they have a huge base. But it's it's a different vibe when you go to the, to the Great American Ballpark, and it was the same way at Riverfront and even Crosley Field. Uh, then you go to one of the big – I lived in Philadelphia for 10 years. I lived in Chicago for 10 years. Going to those ballparks is a completely different experience than going to a ball game in Cincinnati. No less fervor. Uh, if the fans want to win every every much as the other teams want to win, it's just the fans are different. It's a different personality. Yeah, I would agree with you. I I know Tom Brenneman is not one of your your favorite announcers, but when you listen to the Indians announcers, Matt Underwood and and Rick Manning, um, Rick Manning won an award from the Cleveland media personnel a week ago, and. I don't understand why. Was there nobody else running for this award? Because Rick Manning is one of the absolute worst analysts in Major League Baseball. And when Mark, when you 
Listen time and time again to these two yin-yangs on an Indian's broadcast and how Underwood's favorite saying is, boy, he'd have hit that out if it would have just been an eighth of an inch lower on the bat. Well, he'd have struck out too if it would have been about three quarters of an inch higher on the bat. <laughs> you know, and, and that that's the difference between listening to a Reds game and listening to an Indians game. You get professional announcers, and I'm leaving Tom Hamilton out of this because he is one of the most professional announcers I think there are in baseball. I put him and Marty Brenneman up, up on a pedestal as far as I'm concerned with radio play-by-play men. But when you're talking about TV guys, I know Tom Brenneman's not one of your favorites, but listening to him is a breath of fresh air compared to Manning and Underwood on the Indians Network. Well, the thing I don't like about Tom Brenneman is the hyperbole, and all, everything is a, uh, you know, a major play with him. He, he has no cadence. He has no sense of proportion for the play, and he uses the same lines over and over and over again. And I don't think he understands the game nearly as well as his dad does. And he says some things on the air that I cringe at, like how could you be so stupid to, to think that uh, about the game itself? And I do like Chris Welsh. I think he's he's pretty knowledgeable. Uh, but you know Marty, the reason I've met Marty, and Marty's a pain in the ass. He, he's a he can be abrasive and rude and, and all those things, but he he knows the game, and he knows what he's talking about, and he's he's full of himself. Make no mistake about that. But he also will get on the Reds. Uh, he will make comments against management, against ownership, He'll, you know, if, if it's warranted. And I, and I respect that. And I think too many of these guys, uh, the Reds have an answer. He's on there sometime named George Grand. And mm-hmm. I, I remember just, George. He used to, he used to do uh, Indians games years ago. Oh, I, I, he is such a homer. And the, the same stuff comes out of his mouth every game. He, he's like a, a mannequin there talking. And I just want to scream when he's doing a game, because it's it's so boring the way he does it. And, uh, you know, some of these, I've heard announcers, but there's, the, the guy I really like is the announcer from Milwaukee who does the, the Brewers games. Uh, not not Bob, uh, you know, what's his name? Euchre. Bob Euchre. I like Bob Euchre, but there's a guy who does the play-by-play on radio uh, or TV. He is really Brian good. Anderson. Yes, yes. He's really good, and, and I like the Cardinal announcers. They're very objective. Uh, they're, they're calm. They, they know their stuff. And on MLB, I go around and listen to the other announcers, and you know, there's some that are very, very good and some that are not so good. Uh, the Reds have Marty Brenneman, but uh, aside from him, I don't think it's an all-star team. But um, some of these announcers are pretty good. And you know what's amazing, Mark? Vin Scully, I could listen to him for hours, do a game on TV just by himself, and he, he, yeah, he's in his 80s. Yeah, I think if you get too much of him, it could probably be too much, but just to listen to him in snippets, it is refreshing to listen to that guy. You know, he doesn't have a broadcasting partner, and he never has. He's always done the games by himself, and last night, uh, the Dodgers hit a home run to tie the game. This is the bottom of the ninth inning with two out. And I, it's, I can't emulate Vin Scully accurately, but it was like this. Here's the pitch, and there's a drive to deep left field. He's back, 
and that ties the game. This is yep. two on the ninth inning, and you'd think he'd be saying, there's a home run, we've tied it. And it was like it was a ground ball to shortstop. And yet he holds your interest in it. And I was thinking, you know, this guy called the 1954 World Series. 1954. He he called when the Dodgers won it in 1955. He called the win. And he said, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, this is something that has never been said. The Dodgers are world champions. Just like that. And he didn't say anything else. That was it. And he said, people came up to him years afterward and said, why didn't you get more excited? He said, if I tried to talk at that time, I would have broken into tears. And he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's maintained his cadence. His calling ability has not, has not wavered a bit. But um, imagine that. The 1955 World Series, he called it. The Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, it, it, it is absolutely amazing what what Vince got. And John Miller is another one with the Giants. He's another one. Yeah, he's great. I love John Miller. He's very good. And and I liked uh, Al Michaels too, uh, especially with he was with the Reds. Uh, he used to get excited and, and he knew the game and I liked him very much. Uh, you know, there, there's guys you go back in time. I, I don't know if you ever listened to Dizzy Dean when he was doing the Cardinal games and then Game of the Week. Uh, he used to get in trouble because his English was so bad. Uh, he mm-hmm. was put school in the second grade. He could he could barely articulate a, you know a complex sentence, but people loved him and they loved him because he knew the game and he was very honest. And if, if somebody you know made a dumb play, he'd say that's a dumb play. And you, you don't get that anymore. You don't get that honesty from the announcers because most of them work for the teams. They don't work for the stations anymore. So you know when they they they're paid by the by the the guy who writes the checks and owns the team, it's hard to get on their case. And I, I think that's and I don't know about the the, the you talking about the the announcers in Cleveland. I tell you what I, I really don't like in Cincinnati, it's the print media, it's the writers. These guys suck up to the team so much they are not objective. They they don't call it as it should be called and I don't know why they don't maybe it's for fear that they won't get an interview uh, but these guys are really really weak sisters down here what's it like in Cleveland oh it, it's the same way it you, you really don't get anything about the Indians uh, as far as the print media is concerned yeah they've got a couple of beat reporters that go around with the Indians, but in all honesty, you, you don't see any articles about the Indians. You don't see anybody digging into the team and finding out what's going on and, and really picking Terry Francona's brain or going to... Throughout the years, Mark, you have never seen anybody go to the Dolans and want to know, why aren't you doing this? What What is the problem here? Or really pinning Antonetti and Shapiro to the wall. You know, there's a way of asking people questions that doesn't make you defensive and doesn't put them on the defensive. It, it's a lost art, I think, in communications journalism today. I really believe that. Yeah, back in the day when the, the writers all reported and, and were paid by the papers, 
they they were much much more aggressive. And I guess as a writer, uh, there's a difference between a reporter and a writer. A reporter like Hal McCoy. Hal McCoy, all he does is play back. Well, he hit a fastball on a 2-0 count, and that won the game. Well, that's reporting it. He no longer gets into the writing element where you go in, as you say, and do your homework on the team. Find out why. What's the problem with uh, Cozart hitting 190? What's going on? What's, what's he doing wrong? What's he doing differently? Why hasn't the team looked at this more carefully and really get into issues and but but I think they're afraid to do it. They they don't want to rock the boat. They want, don't want to be the the odd man out, and they're afraid the team will get mad at them. But that's not being a writer. That that's just reporting pablum back that these guys want you to say to your audience. And it's it's really a it's it's a bunch of lazy guys who aren't going out there and digging like they used to. You, you don't have the the Jim Murrays and, and those kinds of guys out there. Sure. Uh, Povich and, and all these other great writers that really wrote about baseball beautifully. You, you just don't have it anymore. No, you you really don't. Mark, off the beaten path of this, I want to ask you about two ball clubs right now that seem to have fallen upon hard times. The Washington Nationals and the Pittsburgh Pirates. First of all, the Pirates. What seems to be the problem with them, in your opinion, right now? Well, I would have said there was a greater problem until the last you know few days. They did have a little run there. Uh, they got beat yesterday, I believe. Uh, but I still fear the Pirates. I, I think they've got enough talent that uh, they're going to be heard from before the end of the year. Uh, the, the team that really amazes me is Washington. They, with that with that team, that pitching staff, they should be they should be in first place in that division. And I don't understand it, other than they've uh, really overrated some of their players. But uh, when you look at that roster, man, they, they've got some studs on that team, and they just cannot put it together. And maybe it's going to require yet another management change. What about Washington? What's your opinion of what's going on with them? Well, that, that's who I was referring to is with Washington. Uh, with that pitching staff, Strasburg and, and the, re- the rest of the teams – uh, Giovanni, what's his name, uh, Gonzalez. Uh, they, they've got a tremendous pitching staff. They've got hitters. They've got good defense. And I don't know why they're not winning. They're, they're losing a lot of close games, I know. But uh, you're right. Those two teams are, are – and the other one that surprised me is Arizona. I thought Arizona would have a much better team than they've shown so far this year. Uh, they're coming a little bit out of it now. They've won some games recently, but they got off to a horrific start, and it's going to be hard to come back. Did you hear about Matt Williams last year doing his weekly interview with a radio station in I Washington? Not. I did not. He got rear-ended by someone who was trying to flee the police. While he was doing his interview in his car, heading to the ballpark, he got rear-ended by the guy Matter of fact, I, I hope you can hear this, Mark. I know we had te- technical difficulties last week, but let me play this for you. This is Matt Williams on the radio in Washington and getting into an accident. And just listen to how calm, cool, and collected he is. So I think he's he's getting that. Oh, sorry, guys, I just had an accident. Oh, oh boy. You okay? Uh, I got a police officer behind me. This guy's going to try to escape. This guy's running. 
All right, hold on. Did you witness the accident or you're in the he accident? Just, he just ran right in the back of me. I just got rear-ended by a guy in a car. Hold on. This guy's crashing into people. Oh, no. Yeah. Listen to how calm, cool, and collected he was, Mark. He just got rear-ended, and, and it's like it's an everyday occurrence. Well, he sounded very collected to me because I couldn't hear it. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll get online and listen to it. I'm sure it's online. But uh, Matt Williams, now, that was a dude that you didn't want to fool with. He, he played the game hard, and, uh, you know, I, I think he, he's going to get it together there in D.C., but uh, you're right, that team is a an enigma right now. And, gosh, I don't know what team you'd look at in the National League and say they're better than the roster that you'd look at with with Washington. I mean, the pitching staff, they've got hitting, they've got good defense, and yet they're not winning. You know, another team, too, Really, if you look at the St. Louis Cardinals, they're, they are not playing very good baseball right now. Their talent is overcoming what they seem to be missing. They're 19 and 19, but they're, they haven't played very good ball for a long stretch all year. Well, they're, to me, they're very similar to the Reds. They've got, they got outstanding pitching. They probably have a better bullpen now, although with Chapman back, I may have to reevaluate that. But they didn't go out and get a hitter. They got Bourgeois, but he's not known as an offensive player. He's a great defensive player, uh, but they have lots of holes in their lineup. And, and Matt Adams, who was really slugging the ball last year, has gotten off to kind of a slow start. But th- that team doesn't have a lineup. Uh, when they lost Carlos Beltran, he, he was a big part of that that lineup. And when he left, they got considerably weaker. It had a ripple effect throughout that lineup. And they didn't go out and get anybody either. And I think they're they're going to struggle all year, just like the Reds are, to score. Well, and there was some reports from a couple of bloggers to Mark last week that the Cardinals were in negotiations with Miami for Giancarlo Stanton, giving up Alan Craig and a couple of their minor league pitchers. Now, I can tell you that Bill Ivey, of i70.com, and of course he's with the Bleacher Report as one of the Cardinal uh, writers now, came right out immediately and said that that was a false report. Did you hear anything about that at all? Yeah, I did, and I heard that there were three or four teams going after Stanton, and the Cardinals were one of them. But you and I have talked in the past, the most logical trade, trading partner with Miami for Stanton is the Reds. The Reds can deliver... A, a number one, well, with Fernandez down there, a number two pitcher, but you put Homer Bailey in that rotation or you put a Raldis Chapman in that rotation in Miami, and now you've got something going. Because uh, they do have some other offensive weapons down there, but Stanton is just killing the ball right now. And uh, he would certainly fit into the Reds lineup as he would the Indians. But uh, I, I don't see, well, I, you know, I guess it's as likely he could go to St. Louis, but I think the Reds could package a better deal than the Cardinals could offer. Very quickly, as we're running out of time, you're Walt Jockety. If Miami calls and says, we give you Giancarlo Stanton for Chapman and Bailey, do you make the deal? No. I, I would do I would do one of them, and I would do, maybe I'd even do Mezzarocco, even with the start he has, because uh, I think you can get catchers on the market who can produce but the Reds could package some real studs. They might even do uh, Robert Stevenson 
uh, you know, with with uh, either Bailey and or with uh, Chapman. Uh, but I, I don't I don't see how they can afford to keep Bailey. I just don't see it. If, you, if you're going to pay somebody 100 million bucks, I think you've got to get a position player to, to offset some of this pitching. And I still think Bailey for Stanton, I think one on one, I think that would be a trade. It would help both teams. Well, in case anybody wonders uh, why we haven't been talking about the Reds and the Indians tonight, it's because both teams are off tonight. So what do the Reds have coming up the rest of the week, Mark? they got San Diego coming in for a, a three-game series, and then they, they go to Philadelphia for the weekend. And now these are teams that are good. San Diego's pitching is very tough. But the Reds, they should win four out of these next six games. And that's what they're going to have to do to get back into the playoffs. They've got playoff picture. They're going to have to win series, and I think they can do both this week. And they need to do that, Mark, because if you look at next week, they're at Washington for three games, then St. Louis comes to town, and then they go out on the West Coast and face the Dodgers. Not an easy task. How about the Indians? No. Indians coming up this week. They're going to be in Toronto for the next three nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then Oakland comes to town, the first place in the West Oakland A's. And then next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, hello Detroit, the Tigers come to Progressive Field. So that's the way the week looks for the upcoming week for the Reds and Indians. Mark, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Dave. Have a good one. And you're going to get to hear my diatribe again about the media and the Browns draft coming up this Thursday night on Ultimate Sports Talk. And Mark and I will be back with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week, good night, everybody.